Isaiah 53, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation who is considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence nor was any deceit found in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him putting him to grief he would render himself as a guilt offering. He'll see his offspring. He'll prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he'll see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I'll allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the spoil with the strong because he poured himself out unto death and was numbered among the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. For a few moments, I want us to think about the crucifixion of Jesus. That period of time between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. on a Friday in the springtime where all of human history reached its pinnacle. Prior to being crucified, Jesus was offered wine mixed with myrrh. And you'll remember that he refused it. He will not allow anybody to think that he's doing this because he was sedated. He goes willingly like a lamb to slaughter. They placed Jesus between two criminals. Isaiah said that he would be numbered amongst the transgressors. And that prophecy, too, was fulfilled. Normally, they would place the crime committed above the person being crucified. And yet, in this situation, Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. So he simply had written, Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. Christ was publicly humiliated. This is the most active of Eastern cities on the most active of days, Passover, when all Jews would gather together outside the northern gate at 9 a.m. in the morning. Jesus' death was a billboard to the world. From the cross, Jesus makes seven statements. The first statement that Jesus makes is a statement of forgiveness and mercy towards his executioners. Father, 
forgive them for they do not know what they do. I've often wondered what would have happened had Jesus not prayed that prayer. You see, in the Old Testament, the state, the government, doesn't lay its hands on God's man. You remember when soldiers in 2 Kings, they come to get Elijah, they say, oh man of God, come down from your hill. And Elijah said, if I am a man of God, let fire come down and consume you. And guess what happens? Fire comes down and consumes them. They send another detachment of soldiers. Oh man of God, come down from your hill. If I am a man of God, let fire come down and consume you. Fire comes and gets them. The third detachment comes and says, may I offer a polite suggestion? Maybe, would you come with us? But the lesson is very simple. You do not lay your hands on God's man. Well, right here, Jesus is God's man. And Roman soldiers have stretched out their arms to kill him. And one commentator said, if Jesus hadn't prayed this prayer, the entire universe would have been consumed. Deuteronomy 4.31 says, the Lord, your God, is a merciful God. Praise Jesus Because we are reminded today that it wasn't just the sin of those Roman soldiers that put Jesus on that cross. It was your sin and mine. At this point, it's between 9 a.m. and noon, and the two thieves are on either side of Jesus. One is mocking, but the other one's been watching. He's watched Jesus pray for his executioner. He's seen Jesus refuse the the myrrh and the wine. He's watched Jesus willingly submit his life that while being reviled, he did not revile in return. In his suffering, he uttered no threats. Have you been hammering away at something and you miss the nail and you hit your hand? I've heard that some vulgar things can come out of people's mouths when that happens. Listen, Jesus is being tortured in ways that you and I can't possibly imagine. And yet he doesn't say a word. And I think the thief begins to think to himself, if this man is guilty, he's the best guilty man I've ever seen. And the light begins to dawn on this Jew. Maybe he remembers a Sunday school lesson about the lamb led to slaughter. Or maybe he remembers the offering of a blood sacrifice. Or maybe he sees Jesus' seamless robe and it all begins to to make sense that this man is the sacrifice. And the thief turns to the other thief who is mocking Jesus and he says, do you not fear God? What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of God. He says, we're getting what we justly deserve for our sins, but this man's done nothing wrong. Folks, these are the foundational ideas of salvation, that God is holy, we are not, we are sinners, we get what we deserve. And this man is unique. He's dying for what he didn't do. He's innocent. And I think this man begins to understand he's dying for me. And so he turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Isn't that good? He knows that Jesus is a king. And he knows that he can conquer death. And he knows that he can save him. You know what's interesting? When you're a thief on, their, uh, on a cross, it's hard to contribute anything to your salvation, isn't it? You know how much this thief contributed to his salvation? Zero. 
And so he only says, remember me. All I want is for you to know my name and remember that I believed in you. Folks, that's pretty good theology for a man who just a few hours earlier was a rebel of God. But that is what divine grace does. It turns sinners into theologians. And this man, I love it. He just wants to sit at the back of the room. All he asks is that Jesus remember him. And how does Jesus respond? Today you'll be with me in paradise. You know when you're saved? At the moment of your asking. After Jesus saves the thief, he now turns his attention to his mother. A good Jewish man, in order to be a righteous man, first honored God, then he honored his fellow man. And of those 10 commandments, number five, right there in the middle is what? Honor your father and your mother. Good Jewish man always took care of mama. And Jesus sees his mother all alone, and he says, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, John, behold your mother. Jesus, as he was in all of his life, he was always thinking of someone else. And so he gives Mary into the keeping of John. Then he says to John, John, before you go off to save the world, first take care of your mother. Why? Because Mary has lost her wage earner. Isn't this amazing? Before Jesus dies, he prays for those who are executing him. He saves a convict and he takes care of mama. That's what you call perfect moral righteousness. At this point of the crucifixion, something strange happens. It's high noon, middle of the day, and everything goes dark. Passover occurs at a full moon, so we know this is not an eclipse. Without explanation, everything goes dark. In Exodus, the sun goes dark as a picture of God's judgment upon Egypt and Pharaoh. In Revelation, the sun goes dark as a picture of God's judgment on the world. But right here, the judgment of God is being poured out on the perfect Lamb of God for the sins that you and I committed, and the sun goes dark. The countenance of God is turned away. God can't look upon sin. It's right here that Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is being judged by God for what he did not do. These six hours are the center of human history. The first three hours, Jesus suffers at the hands of men. The last three hours, he suffers at the hands of God. And it brings out of Jesus what one commentator calls the orphaned cry of Emmanuel. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And no gospel writer lets you in there. All the gospel writers tell us is that the sun went dark until around 3 p.m., You know what it's like? It's like the high priest going into the Holy of Holies to offer the blood sacrifice in the presence of God, and no one gets to know what goes on in there. Right here, God draws back the shade and says, this moment is between me and my son. It's been dark for three hours. At 3 p.m., Jesus emerges from a tunnel of darkness, and he desires to say something, but he can't. 
His strength is gone. His mouth is dry. You've probably certainly at some point had cotton mouth where you're just so dry you can't speak. And so Christ calls out, I thirst. In the Old Testament, there's another place in Judges 15 on the hill of the skull, a place called Ramoth Lehi. Samson stands between the Philistines and the people of Israel. The Philistines are gonna destroy Israel and Samson positions himself between them and he takes the jawbone of donkey, the instrument of death and uses it to defeat death. He stands in the gap and offers his own life to protect the people of Israel. And when he is done, out of exhaustion, you know what he cries out? I thirst. And there's an earthquake, and the earth splits open, and water springs forth, and the place of death becomes a place of life. Well, right here on a hill called Calvary, Jesus is going to defeat death by means of death, and the place of death will become the place of life and living water for all who thirst. Having cried out in thirst, a sponge full of sour wine is placed on a hyssop branch and lifted to Jesus. And having received it, he cries out, it is finished. To tell us thy, it's done, once for all, finally, completely, never to be repeated again. The price has been paid, nothing can be added The wrath of God has been satisfied. You know, in the temple, there were a lot of utensils that were used for sacrifice. But you know the one piece of furniture that you would never find in the temple? A chair. Because the work was never done. Folks, in Christ's death, the work for your salvation and mine is done. His death is sufficient. There's nothing more that you can do. The law has been satisfied. The distance between man and God has been reconciled. The the veil in the temple, the holy of holy, has been rent from top to bottom. And now God bids you come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus, in those very last moments, he cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Guilty, guilty men and women don't commend their spirits to God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. To the wicked man, God says, depart from me for I never knew you. Go into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his followers. Jesus has been accused of blasphemy. It's the high, highest form of blasphemy if he's not who he said he is. But what does Jesus say? He says, Father. Because he is perfectly obedient and into your hands because he has no fear and he commits his spirit. He lays it down. Jesus places himself before the Father, perfectly submissive and obedient to do with him as the Father pleases. It's not like you and I when we die. When you and I die, we're buried beneath a cross because that's, that's how we get to God. We come through somebody else. But, but how would you like to be Jesus? You have no one to place your faith in because you are salvation. Jesus didn't have a savior because he's the source of salvation. 
Jesus didn't get to trust in anyone because there's no one above him. Jesus is not saved because Jesus was never lost. And he doesn't enter by faith. He enters by works. And he's the beloved son in whom the father is well pleased. And so this innocent man commends his spirit to God. He lays down his life willingly for you and for me. And make no mistake, the Romans didn't kill Jesus and neither did the Jews. It was the plan of God. As Isaiah said, the Lord was pleased to crush him. Jesus is not a martyr. He is a conqueror. In the most awful of human moments, when it looks like death had won, we know, as Paul said to the Corinthians, life has not been swallowed up by death, but death has been swallowed up by life. And Sunday is coming. Father, we thank you. We cannot imagine the depths of your love for us. What kind of love is this that you would love us so much knowing all of our sin, knowing all of our guilt, knowing everything that we'd ever do, past, present, and future. Your love is not blind. It's full of knowledge. You know all about us. And yet despite all of our sin, before the foundation of the world, you had already decided to send your son to buy us back. God, I can't begin to fathom this kind of love. Jesus, I can't understand the depth of the sacrifice you made in giving up the glory of heaven and putting on flesh, becoming a bondservant, obedient to death, and even death on a cross. But Jesus, we say to you tonight, thank you. Thank you for doing what we couldn't do. Thank you for living the life we couldn't live. Thank you for paying the debt we could never pay. Thank you for providing a way of salvation so that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Jesus, I pray tonight, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that tonight, by the power of your word, they have learned more about your great love for them. And I pray, Lord, that your kindness would lead them to repentance. That as they look to the cross and what you did for their salvation, they couldn't help but run to you to know your freedom and your forgiveness on this Good Friday. God, it's good for us. But it wasn't good for you. You took the hit so that we could go free. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.